This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 107.5 FM, Unholstered. Welcome back. Here we go. This is Unholstered. I am just one of your hosts here on Unholstered. My name is Kayla Blakesley. And if you have never tuned in before, uh, this show is all about the topics and conversations that just don't often get have or told when it comes to law enforcement. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Gatina. I'm a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department. And welcome back to uh, the death of... <laughs> death? The death. The death. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call this one the death. The, the death series, series, I suppose, yes. that we're yes, doing. It does feel doing. like that. Uh, last week, we talked about <clears throat> body farms. It was a very fascinating conversation that we had so if you missed it definitely go search for the unholstered podcast you can download actually any of our episodes um, just by searching for unholstered anywhere that you can download a podcast uh, but Sophie Sophia we had such an interesting conversation with our guests last week that we brought him back again this week. We did bring him back because, you know, we, we talked a little bit about his work when he was a Fort Wayne Police Department officer. And now we're going to talk about his work after he's retired from the Fort Wayne Police Department because now after he left us, he went over to the Allen County Coroner's Office. And that's where he's doing his work now. So I'll let him introduce himself once again. Yes, Christopher Meals. I am a deputy coroner with the Allen County Coroner's Office here in Fort Wayne. So you're retired, but you're not really retired. Exactly. I walked across the street. You're just like my dad, I tell you what. Um, I got to ask this before we kind of really dive into your work with the Allen County Coroner's Office, because I really got to thinking about it after our last episode. Like I said, we talked about body farms, and I know there was a moment, you know, a few moments when I kind of giggled, Sophia kind of giggled, and we're just really fascinated by this world of, of dead bodies and decomposition of a corpse. And does it ever bother you to some degree, Chris, that people are like me out there, like, ooh, tell me more, I'm fascinated, I, I wanna know more. And, and again, kind of have those moments of laughter about certain things that we were talking about. Does, I mean, does that bother you or ever rub you the wrong way? Yes, it does at times. I mean, it depends on maybe how it comes across and what the, the scenario is. If we're talking about a child or sometimes those things get yeah. a little more personal oh. to an individual. But, yes, you think, kind of think about what is going on with their mind <laughs> to think that they want such interest in this. Yeah. But then again, I'm that way. That's why I'm in this work. I think death has a lot that you can learn from. Um, the human body gives you all kind of clues and information. And so I'm very fascinated by it. So then I can understand why other people are. But sometimes the way they come across or the, the way they ask the question and TV sensationalizes it. It makes it look great and fantastic and fun. So I think that doesn't help either with people's interest in a given case, like what was going on over there on Dewald Street yesterday, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and I tell you what, that true crime movement right now or whatever, <laughs> it seems like everyone's into true crime. Like you said, whether it's on a TV show or movies or podcasts, they're mm -hmm. super popular. But I could absolutely see it being... I don't know if offensive is the right word, but like when, oh, cool, tell me all about it, Chris. That, mm -hmm. that it, it does get bothersome little, at times. and yeah. Maybe it comes off a little insensitive. Yes, yeah. exactly. But it's really not, at least not on my part. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm fascinated. Same. I'm just yeah. fascinated by what our bodies can do, what they, even before, as you know, at conception to just think of the life cycle that mm -hmm. we have, you know, the months of gestation. Yes. And then after death, it's kind of the same thing to decompose. Well, and I'm fascinated. I mean, obviously, I work in the local media, um, 
and you know we get it's kind of kind of almost like TV, Chris, like you said. It's like we get these police reports, and it's like at the, by the time we see them and they reach us, it's like everything's got this nice little bow on it, and everything's here's the suspect, here's what happened, here's the why. I mean, if you know the why, you know, and it's it's kind of like all all done by the time it usually reaches us to the media. So that's why I'm fascinated. It's like all of these things that I never thought about before have to occur before that report even reaches my desk. And it's quite frank, it really is fascinating and it's amazing. Sophia, we talk about all the time, the amount of training that you guys receive with the Fort Wayne Police Department. I mean, I, I swear you spend more time training than, than on the job, it seems like. Sometimes. sometimes it does seem like that, but I'm just glad we work in a community that um, is very generous when it comes to that and they approve those budgets for those trainings because mm -hmm. they're not Amen. they're not cheap yeah. but we have a standard here in our community what they expect they approve the budget and you have someone that coordinates it all because you got right. over 400 officers on the force right and now we're all, up to 500 oh, are you up so, to 500 yeah, we're budgeted now? To 500 now so you know yeah it takes a lot and it's a lot of people working together to do this and you know we have to have people that find the schools and then you got to apply for the funding for mm -hmm. the schools and not everybody makes it we can't afford to send everybody all the time so we really got to figure out what's the best bang for the buck what's going to and then have those people come back and like chris shared on the last episode you really share with your yeah. with your comrades and you you do that in a way that everyone's learning from someone who goes to a training chris before we again fully dive into your work with the allen county corners office how did you land there kind of give us mm -hmm. the quick your quick background a little bit. Well, um, on a previous show, I'd mentioned I was a police officer for the Fort Wayne Police Department for 26 and a half years, and um, 21 of those years was in crime scene. And um, I excelled at death investigation, and then um, a representative, Dick Golfeld from the Allen County Coroner's Office at the time, he was a chief investigator, he came to me and asked if I wanted to be a volunteer deputy coroner, and that would have been in 2004. Um, in 2004, then, I became a volunteer, and I was a volunteer until my sergeant, Mike Burris, he was a, my sergeant in crime scene, he retired and took Dick's job. He became the chief investigator of the Allen County Coroner's Office. And then Michael Burris come to me and said that they're going to have a retirement in their office, and he asked me if I wanted that position. So I retired literally one day, July, I think, 17th of uh, 2016, and then I walked across the hallway oh to goodness. the coroner's office <laughs> and took a desk. So then what does your work entail? There? And not even just not right now, but kind of walk me through your time at the Allen County Coroner's Office, clear back from 2004. I mean, what were your duties as a volunteer? What are your duties now? <clears throat> our, our primary focus as a coroner is to determine the cause and manner of death. Um, so as a volunteer, I would volunteer to take call for somebody who wanted a day off a call. Mm -hmm. On weekends, it's a 24-hour call. During the week, it's after the office closes, so 4 o'clock in the afternoon till it opens again the following day at 8 a.m. would be um, your time of call. And any time there's a death, potentially, in Allen County, you could be called upon to determine, is this, is this a coroner's case? Is it a homicide, a suicide, is it an accidental death? Um, is it suspicious, um, then those things become coroner's cases. And even some of the natural deaths do because if you haven't been to a doctor in a year and a half or so or a year, your primary care physician probably is not going to sign that death certificate because they haven't seen you. So then that becomes one of our cases. Let's say, I'm just curious, because you, you're mentioning this, you're, you're on call overnight weekends. What is the time frame between, let, let, let's say, Sophia 
you know, finds a body in the woods to that investigation is being conducted there. But what's the time frame that the body actually ends up at the coroner's office? And that can vary. Um, you guys talked about how to get to that final report, yeah. so much happens. Well, the Allen County Coroner's Office has a protocol, uh, a death protocol that all of our agencies in this county have agreed to. So we, we are lucky that we can work together so well. And that would include the different police departments, the fire departments, the EMS. That includes um, the coroner's office, the prosecutor's office. It, it includes uh, Department of Child Services and, and, and Adult Protective Services. It includes all these people. And we all come together under this one protocol to work a crime scene. So you ask how long does it take to get to our Northeast Indiana Forensic Center, where the bodies are housed before autopsy. And that can vary. If, if it's an outdoor scene, sometimes outdoor scenes are quicker um, because we don't need a search warrant. Mm -hmm. If we have to get a search warrant, you know, you got a couple hours just to wait on the paperwork trail before you can even enter the crime scene to process it. And it depends on how complex the, the scene is. Um, if it's an outdoor shooting, someone's been shot and laying outside, it's only two or three shots, then it can be very quick scene processing. So it could be three to four hours in the morgue, or it could be sometimes a couple days before they get to the morgue because, because of the complexity of the crime scene. And the coroner is often called to the crime scene, right? If we have decedents at the scene, yes, we'll go to the scene. If someone gets shot and they're transported by medic to a hospital and then die in the hospital, we do not go to the scene. But if they're deceased at the scene from a violent event, yes, we'll be called to that scene and go there. Yeah. So and they do that. We do that through a paging system. So they're on. So everybody gets paged together um, when these calls. So even go if out. you don't need the corner at the time, he's still getting a page. I or? do believe they get yes. our pages just that gives mm -hmm. them a heads, heads up, up of this is yeah. happening. And if we need to call them, if we get there, and it's like, oh, this this quote unquote shooting was really a death by suicide, then and we can determine that we don't think we, we may call them and they may come out. A lot of times they do just to rule that that way, but or sometimes it's suspicious. We don't know. All suicides will go to the scene okay. if they're deceased at the scene. Huh. If, if a body gets moved because they had some kind of respirations yet going on, they had pulses, then they'll transport. And then if that suicide victim dies at the hospital, we probably will not go to the scene. Now, if a detective calls me and says, hey, Chris, this is a weird scene. I'm just not sure about it. And I'll ask him to try to paint the picture to me, what he's seeing. And if he gets, he's not sure what he's seeing, I'll come. I'll go, you know, because we want to work as a team to get the right answers. So, okay, so it's a detective then on each scene that actually places the call to the coroner. It can be police, office? it can be EMS, it can be fire, I see. it can be anyone. Um, on suicides, a lot of times I don't think they have homicide detectives go, so it's more the patrolman that we're working with on a suicide Ooh. scene and a crime scene technician goes from the city police department. And um, But if there's suspicious circumstances or a warrant is needed, then sometimes, yes, a on suicides a detective will get involved so what's okay so obviously you're a volunteer when you first started what's what's your role now then with the coroner's office i am a, a deputy uh coroner to do investigations and my job is to help determine cause and manner so i just do that all the time now every day so i'll be at the office during the, my shift is eight to four and i'll answer phone calls and take calls from hospitals or nursing homes or police departments or fire medics that are with a decedent and trying to determine if it's a coroner's case or not hmm. what, can i what determines a coroner's case or not i mean a homicide yeah suicide accidents so like a motor vehicle crash or um 
and then any suspicious deaths, occupational deaths. Um, if you're at work and you get caught in a machine and your life is taken, then we get called to those. Um, so we just have to determine those things. Um, if there's none of those, and they call a lot of times with falls with fractures. Um, you get elderly and you fall and you break a hip, and then three weeks later you're deceased. Those are coroner's cases because it's an accidental death. Even though you might have other comorbidities, you might have congestive heart failure going on, you mm -hmm. might be dying of some cancer, but if you fall and break a hip in that process at the end of life, then that becomes a coroner's case because we'll have to consider it as an accidental death. And a question for me is, because I don't know, I think I know, but I want to be sure, are all of like the fentanyl death coroner cases? Yes, all overdoses okay. are coroner cases, yes. Okay. Are you seeing a lot of overdose cases? Um, last year, we had a reduction. We only saw 139. The previous year, we, um, in 2021, we had uh, 177 drug alcohol deaths. Well, so it still seems like a lot. It's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, yeah. I suppose, but a it's positive that we've It had came less, down so to 139, and, you know, someone will ask you, why well, is I that? Say, why, why do you think that is? I, and I, I don't know. I think it's know. probably the introduction of more Narcan everywhere. Yeah. I mean, Narcan's mm -hmm. free for the most part. You just got to yeah. find a place to get it they from. They just had a machine added to yeah. Parkview Randalia, yep. like a cigarette machine, but you can go yep. there and get free Narcan out of the machine. Like a like yeah. a Narcan vending machine? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. Well, you carry some on you at all times. I do, yeah. It's in my backpack, even with... I do with too. The arm, but it's mm -hmm. but you know you carry it because you never know. I mean, it could be just as much as someone just like me who was on pain pills um, after my surgery. I could, I mean, I might have taken two, and then maybe they just didn't agree with me, or maybe it was more than what I should have taken, or you know, there's other mm -hmm. medications. Who knows yeah. what the reason for? You just never know with anyone. So if it's available to carry it, and you know that you may need it sometime, I would advise you to carry can it. Can anyone I, carry it? Yeah, anyone can carry it. I guess if you're making a vending machine, yeah. I yeah. guess It's, it's a nasal spray. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, obviously, you know, you need to administer it correctly uh, for it to be effective, but um, anyone can carry mm -hmm. it. And there's lots of people that do, especially a lot of people have, know that they have um, loved ones with addiction problems. They'll carry it in their home. They'll carry it in their purses. Maybe to give you a perspective, too, you talk about 139 deaths is a lot, and it is. One death of overdose is too many, but the county last year had over 5,175 deaths in the county, and of those, 40% of those or so get calls on, so a little over 2,000 calls of death we get called on, and of those, we took 670 cases, and of those 670 cases, um, we do about 230-some um, autopsies on those. So you kind of look at the 670 cases we took, 139 of those are overdoses. So th that seems like a lot, you know, but maybe if you put in the when fact it, that it's yes. 5,000 cases. Put it into perspective like yeah. that. Yeah. When, when, when does the case constitute an autopsy and when does it not? When, through my investigation, I can't determine why you're deceased. Then we're going to have to do an autopsy to get to that answer. Um, you're found deceased at home, and we're going to right away look for a primary care physician, look for medications, ask family, who's their doctors, what's been going on with them, have they been sick recently, where have they been, have they been to Lutheran, have they been to Parkview Hospital Systems, and we'll start pulling medical records if we can. If we have no medical history and no primary care physician, then we're going to have to probably do an autopsy because we have no clue why you might be deceased. It could be of natural causes. Um, but we don't know because you've never went to a doctor for five yeah. years. And it's hard to imagine that, but people do. They, they, sometimes it's 10, 15 years since they've been to a physician. Who then has the conversation with the family? Like, hey, we're going to have to perform an autopsy. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
where does that communication it, it really begins with law enforcement i mean yeah. we work so closely there are there are eyes and ears for us um we can't do our job because we don't have enough staff to manage you know 5175 decedents so the police, they talk with the next of kin or family or friends or neighbors and start talking to them. And then once we have a next of kin, if the law enforcement hasn't had a good conversation with them, our office always calls because we have to know a funeral home. And usually most people don't know a funeral home right away. So we have to make those contacts with an immediate next of kin, whether it's a mom or dad or husband or son or daughter. We have to call them and talk to them. And we tell them that we are going to do this autopsy because we don't know why they're deceased. Man, talk about, so, I mean, do a lot of people who have worked, whether it's for, you know, Fort Wayne or Allen County in terms of police departments, go to the coroner's office? Or are you kind of special with that? Because it sounds like you've also, I mean, talk about, you know, you're working so closely together and tight-knit, but you also obviously worked with a lot of these people at the Fort Wayne Police Department. That's pretty special. It is, and we have close relationships. Like I said, we're lucky. Um, we're a big city, but we're not, you know, and um, you go to New York, you don't know anybody, I suppose, as a police officer or the coroner, but here we know everyone. Um, and, you know, new officers come on, it takes time for me to learn them. But in our office, we have a variety of people like that. We have somebody who is a past paramedic. So she, um, ha Tony Mays, has a great background in the medical field. She had to learn more about the police side. You know, I had a great background in the law enforcement side, but I needed to learn more about the medical mm -hmm. field. And Mike Burris is our chief investigator. He um, was a medic in the Navy and stuff and worked in the Lutheran ER years ago. So and then became a police officer. So he was more well-rounded. Wow, yeah. You know, and then we also have uh, Rebecca Mays. Um, Rebecca, she was a jailer for years before she came to the coroner's office. So she had kind of a law enforcement background as well and had to learn more about the medical side. Yeah, it's a stream amount of talent that we have here in Fort Wayne. And, and Chris is right. We all work so closely together. And, you know, when he's when we talk about the notifications and things like that, and maybe that's a topic we'll breach because we have a wonderful chaplain program where our chaplains will come in and they'll sit down with families when we do our death notifications and they just really bring a calm sense to people. We also have a pamphlet we've made up where all of us have kind of pitched in the coroner's office, the police department, the chaplain's program about how to maneuver through this, this turbulent time because, man, and I can speak from experience, having to make decisions for something you were not prepared for mm -hmm. is a really hard thing to do and you have to make, the decisions have to come immediately. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can't put it off and put it off for days or weeks on end. They have to be made very directly and very expediently so it's it's great that we can all work together for these things and it's for the greater good and for this community and like I said I am just proud to work at a department that encompasses the, these relationships as well as it does because I tell you that not every community has it there's infighting in several communities where they can't work together and it's them and that's us against them kind awful, of mentality yeah. and that's just not how we do it here and we've been touted even by the federal um bureaus that are stationed here in Fort Wayne, how well we work together with wow. everyone. So I'm, I'm happy to report that to the citizens around here. Okay, Chris. So what <laughs> happens if you can't find a cause of death? They come undetermined. That's another manner. Um, we don't like those outcomes, but um, if we've gotten to the point where we've completed our investigation, we've done an autopsy, we've done toxicology, we've done the scene investigation, we've talked to family and friends, um, and the doctor has no choice but to determine, un to make it undetermined. How often does that happen? Um, 
I don't know how many undetermined we had last year. Um, it's not often. Um, one of the primary reasons you get undetermined is sudden unexplained infant deaths. Mm. Um, so that becomes an undetermined because we don't know why. You know, unexplained it means that we've tried to work through everything else and there's no other answer for why this infant is deceased. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes SIDS or sudden unexplained death of an infant and, and then those all become undetermined. I don't, it just depends on how many deaths like that we might have a year. I don't have that statistic yeah. with me. So undetermined, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess at what point do you, I don't want to say give up because that seems like the, the wrong terminology to use. I mean, who kind of makes that final call? Well, our office makes that final call, and that's after a complete investigation, but we'll go with what the forensic pathologist tells us. Mm -hmm. um, our forensic pathologist, our primary one is Dr. Scott Wagner, but we also have to have Dr. Kent Harshbarger, and we also have Dr. Lindsay Emery. Um, they are all our forensic pathologists that come in and do our autopsies for us, and if they rule it as uh, undetermined, and that's what our office is going to put on the death certificate. How long does a typical autopsy take? Again, that varies. Um, yeah. A typical autopsy, if we're just doing a natural cause death, probably an hour or less, um, but if we got someone who's been shot 10, 15 times, you're up to two hours, three hours. Um, we've had people who've been stabbed 161 times, Ugh. and that took us two days to do that. Yeah, and those, I, I will say this, and I I don't want to use the phrase I've been lucky enough or fortunate enough to sit in on an autopsy, but I don't know any other words at the top of my head to use, um, but talk about fascinating. Yeah. Um, they're both difficult to watch, especially when they're children. Ooh, and no. I've sat on mm -mm. both mm -mm. Um, because I had to. I was a lead investigator in a homicide and, and involved children. So, so you have to sit on that. Is that normal then? You have to sit on that? Yes, in because you have to uh, relay with the doctor, like, hey, this what? is what we found at the crime scene. Is this something that could potentially be something that that was a weapon used? Or, or they may find something, and then I have to write that down, like, hey, we need to look for something that looks like this. So it's just determining weapons I and things like that. I did not know that. Yeah, it's part of the investigation. So an officer does have to sit. And it doesn't have to always be the lead, but someone maybe the co-lead um, of that. But some officer has to sit that's near and dear to that investigation through the autopsy. And it's it's so fascinating to watch. Like I said, I'm just fascinated with anatomy and the human body. And I, it was Dr. Wagner who did it, and he's probably the top one there. And I was fortunate enough to get him. But he was just i mean it was just so he was just so methodical yeah. in what he did and he just does his craft very well and thankfully we have people like that again Th that work in that these capacities because yeah. we need people to do that yeah and so intelligent and, and thoughtful and and you know he was very empathetic i mean he wasn't crass or you mm -hmm. know how sometimes you see on these movies or just you know donut over top of a body that yes. that does not yeah. happen <laughs> no. uh, drinking a cup of coffee yeah, yeah it does not happen um but, you know, it's just one of those things where it's just shared information, and that's what's important during these investigations. Well, that goes back to what you said, too, Chris. There's so much that can be learned about death, about the crime scene or what have you, just from the body. So when you say that, again, it it's almost yeah. common sense, and it yeah. makes sense to me, but I... I just didn't realize that. Again, all mm -hmm. the work that goes behind the scenes that people do not see. Till I get that piece of paper. Till you in get the that newsroom. bow yeah. wrapped up in this investigation, and and even after the arrests are made, the, the work still goes on. The work mm -hmm. goes on and on and on and on um, up until trial. Usually. And if we we talk about these undetermined, you said 
who ends that? Well, yeah. it never really ends either. I mean, these investigations can continue. If more information is learned or there's other people that need to be interviewed yet, it can, can still continue over time and even years. We've, we've yeah. only got a couple of minutes, but I am dying to ask this question as well. Um, and also because I know you said you, you worked on the April Tinsley case, which if you're from this area, you know um, about that story. But you've, you've been doing this for almost 30 years, whether we were with Fort Wayne Police Department, with the coroner's office. But do you feel like technology has evolved greatly over that time of, of almost 30 years of being able to solve some of these uh, that have gone on undetermined? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Especially with a genealogy study and human D DNA has made great advancements for us. Uh, we have a couple unidentified bodies that we are finally getting some grant monies to get some research done and do the genealogy study from their DNA or their bones. Um, and hopefully That's we can wild. get some, hopefully we'll get them identified. One's from 92, I, I believe, and one is from um, 1988. Um, those two cases, we don't know who they are, but um, the Fort Wayne Police Department got a grant here recently um, allowing them to work with third-party companies to extract DNA from bones and then try to do the genealogy history study to make identifications of family names maybe for these people. So we're going to get one of those done there. Um, there's another one through NamUs, which is for missing and unidentified uh, people. And they got a new grant system through a third party, and we are looking at getting our other person identified possibly through them. Yeah, so when you're talking about, you know, as technology keeps up, that's how April Tinsley was solved. Right. It was through that genealogy, right. through that grant. Um, and so when you say, you know, when he says these these will last until they're solved, they stay, because mm -hmm. you can charge murder, there's no statute of limitations on it. So. We could go back. It was thirty plus years that mm -hmm. that that was that yes. that took us to solve that case, but it got solved, and it got solved in the most um, uh, weird way. I, yeah. To me, I'm like, wow, I would have never thought. Yeah. Um, but you know, that could be another show we do right, <laughs> talking time, talking to investigators whole, whole on that in because it's it's fascinating stuff, and I know they've done a couple of like real life TV shows on the April Tinsley and how that genealogy um, worked for that. It's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Wild. Who knows 30 years from now? <laughs> yeah, Chris, I know. I said it last episode because uh, we had you on last week, but I'm going to say it again. I, I truly do appreciate you and everything you Thank do. You. I couldn't do it. Sophia, I, yeah, I look at yeah. you again. I swear, <laughs> every week I look at Sophia differently when I learn more things about her and you being like that lead investigator and sitting there through some of those autopsies. I'm just like, I, I could not do that. So. Yeah. One of the hardest things to do, yeah, especially I with the just, children. Uh, that, yeah. that just, mm. But again, something we have to do and something that people need to keep in their minds of the things that we do do on Before a Before I get basis. that piece of paper on my end. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. so wild. Uh, if you've missed any previous episodes of Unholstered, including the one with Chris that we had last week about body farms, I'm telling you, you've got to listen to it. You can download any episodes of Unholstered anywhere you can download a podcast. Your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, Unholstered. Podcasts by Federated Media.